0: Welcome back to just one question, which sometimes becomes two. And that may happen today because I am thrilled to have Joshua Friedman on the podcast with me. He is the CEO and co-founder of something called six seconds.org, which is the global emotional intelligence community. And all I've got to say is why haven't I heard about this before? Obviously, there's more intelligence out there than emotional intelligence out there than I realized. Um, just yesterday or today, whenever it was, uh, the internet emotionally dumped on poor Elmo of of uh, Sesame Street because the people out there are not okay. So clearly, we need emotional intelligence and we need to talk about this. Um, he's this CEO and co-founder, I was saying, of sixseconds.org and is a world leading expert on the value of emotions. So your your need is is evergreen, but especially especially now it feels like. Um, Joshua is a best-selling author, master certified coach, instructor for Columbia University and Antioch University. And in addition to partnering with Fortune 500s, that means companies, His work spans all areas of society, including pioneering how emotions are an untapped resource for solving the climate crisis. And that one really makes me curious. So maybe that will be my follow-up question. I don't know. But uh, first of all, Joshua, how the heck are you?
1: Thank you, Nick. Uh, Well, I'm not going to say what I suspect most of your guests say, which is fine. (laughs) That's right. Um, I'm going to use some emotion words. Mm. I am... I'm excited, I'm um, stressed, I'm uh, overwhelmed and anxious, I'm hopeful, um, and I'm determined. And I'm fascinated that all those things can happen at the very same time. <laughs> so am I. I. I like that because yes,
0: emotions uh, lit through us as the Buddhists like to say, like clouds in the sky. And so you definitely can have all those emotions hard on the heels of each other um wonderful so uh thanks for that really interesting check-in we we could just declare victory here and say see (laughs) that's what emotional intelligence work brings you it brings you interesting answers to to mundane (laughs) questions (laughs) but we persevere we move on and we ask you the the question of uh uh we're in a moment of technology um Uh, adaptation and once again, explosion uh, with AI and all the other things that are happening. And so how uh, does um, the technology that is now available to us affect your work and uh, how do you think about technology in this emotional
1: intelligence community of yours? I see uh, opportunities and threats. Hmm. We know that there's unfortunately a lot of data showing that as people use uh devices more they're more lonely they're more disconnected from themselves and each other Mm -hmm. and yet there's so much promise and here we are using technology uh to connect with each other Mm -hmm. and ai is making me look a little younger and brighter than i would otherwise (laughs) so there's there's tremendous promise and the question I keep coming back to is how are we going to grow the capacities we need in order to use the technology well, Mm. in order for us to bring out our better selves, you know, the angels of our nature, or just not be jerks. Mm. Uh, We've seen that many tech companies um, have been toxic and maybe Mm. even evil. Mm. And uh, undermining democracy, undermining humanism, undermining kindness, undermining uh, the quality of communication and lying about it and profiting from it. Mm-hmm. And doing so in a very disin- destructive way, uh, kind of having this glossy mission statement about how they're you know making the world a more whatever place, um, but in fact exploiting uh, our... Our basic biology to make us more reactive. Hmm. And uh, you know, we know that algorithmic influence is driven by emotion. So who's creating the algorithms? Hmm. You know, I love uh I use I've been having so much fun with with uh, various uh large language models and, hmm. and using them to help me think about the work that I do and uh, using them, teaching my st- as a professor, helping my students use them to get over that terror of the blank page, mm-hmm. paralysis, right? And even uh, with our emotional intelligence assessments, I I was um, working with a group of young enge- engineers, and I said, "Well, here's what ChatGPT advises you based on your assessment results." Uh, our organization built the first, as far as I know, artificial intelligence for emotional intelligence. And when people take our assessment, it offers them very practical advice based on your data. Here's what's going to help you have more effectiveness, greater relationships, mm. healthier well-being, and a higher quality of life. So I see this this huge potential in it. And with all new technologies, uh, the disruption. Uh, how do we navigate the disruption? And my concern right now, Nick, is people are deeply depleted people mm. are exhausted people are distressed and in that state uh, and by the way I have the data to, to to back that assertion up I believe you you know it's harder to do to do well mm-hmm. with disruption when we're in that state and so whether you're you know just an individual hanging out in your living room right now or whether you're running a whole company or whether you're a classroom teacher the people you are encountering including yourself are are statistically (laughs) more depleted than they were a few years ago Hmm. and our ability to adapt and innovate and solve problems is compromised by that depletion and so the urgency for us to be more careful more intentional Uh, about how we adapt and adopt this technology is going to be a real make or break for us.
0: Absolutely fascinating. So, indeed, I can't resist uh, uh, a follow-up. And it sounds like uh, what you're saying is that depletion is coming from uh, technology in some sense, Mm. Uh, perhaps the extra demands of constant communication, um, constantly being asked to text and to uh, and to enter text in other forms and to communicate on video as we're doing and and so on and so forth um and and you often hear in the business world that it's 24 7 and and Mm -hmm. uh, never ending and it's always more um and there's that wonderful book uh by jeffrey west called scale which talks about how the world is indeed speeding up um Mm -hmm. in various ways for humans um when you add all that together uh, what how can we get off that um, bandwagon like what is there what is there to do in response to that? It's not like we're suddenly going to develop huge extra capacity, is it to be able to handle it and not be depleted um or or do we all put ourselves on on communications uh, diets,
1: on on Mm. machine diets, or um, what do we do? I think this is your new one question for Mm. the next decade because we're, I mean, I don't think people really know the answer. Mm -hmm. What I would say is my research on well-being is uh, you can't, there's no yoga pose or, you know, vitamin drink that's going to fix this. Hmm. Mm-hmm. uh a lot of times we we try to we put the responsibility on individuals it's mm-hmm. like oh nick you're depleted you need to take care of yourself right humans are social animals and we operate within systems and so yes you absolutely need to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and you need healthy relationships and healthy systems and we have uh a a depletion in all of those areas and disruption and just destruction in all of those areas Mm -hmm. in our companies we see so many people struggling how do i work and manage in a hybrid context Mm -hmm. i mean we know i i I lead a distributed organization we've been virtual since 2004 i haven't had all of my employees in a room since 2004. Uh, because we work all over the world. Mm -hmm. And we have a great culture, and people generally feel very connected. And I know there are many others that that have built their organization around this. Mm -hmm. But it takes a different kind of work. It takes a different kind of thinking. It takes a different kind of skill set. My point is, uh, there's this personal dimension of well-being. There's a relational dimension of well-being. And there's a systemic dimension of well-being. And I think we need to work on all three of those. And yes, we can create tremendous more capacity in all three of those areas, but it will not happen by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in America, especially, which is a a country known
0: and and uh, envied and loathed around the world for its individualism, at the same time, is it's not uh, not the place to look for uh, for much beyond what you said that. The, the importance of taking care of ourselves, um, for our depletion, uh, yeah. our ability to do communal things and, and system-wide
1: things is, is and somewhat limited. And our limited. trust in institutions and in one another has declined. And I think that again, that's part of the peril that we, if we don't actively confront that and say, We have to prioritize learning about how do we build trust? How do we build connection? How do we build healthy systems and relationships? And the internal physical and mental health habits for ourselves, that emotional well-being for ourselves, all of those are are must-dos, and the demand is higher than ever, and it's going to get higher.
0: Yeah, and add to that, uh, in this year, the the dangers to democracy, because- Uh, When I was a boy learning about uh, democracy in civics class, they never said uh, that it required at least 80% of the population to have trust or belief in it in order for it to work. It was just presented to us as a thing that worked. It was a triumph of of American civilization. And now we know that's not the case. And it it does require work on the part of of, uh, those of us um, who vote, but might do take the rest for granted,
1: you know, so. Uh, and, and trust is an emotion.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, I was hoping in talking to you that I'd end up with this sort of blissful feeling of uh, uh, <laughs> calm and peace and release so that, that no offense, <laughs> but that has not happened. And yet I can't resist at the, at the, at the danger of making me even more unsettled. I can't resist asking you about um, how, emotions are an untapped research, resource for solving the uh, climate crisis because that strikes mm. me as another interesting way to go and it's beyond our scope so you can tell me no nick i'm just <laughs> too stressed out i can't answer this <laughs> but if you're game i would love to hear your i am game
1: the so in all challenges and climate change is a massive existential threat and in this massive existential threat people feel a variety of emotions Uh, In working with young climate activists, I hear a lot of them talking about um, the characterization of emotions as a weakness and feeling fear, feeling anxiety as something that they shouldn't have and shouldn't express. And yet, what else should you feel in the face of this existential threat? What should you feel when you see the planet burning around you and wondering why aren't we taking this really, really seriously? The appropriate emotional expression is anxiety, fear, rage, uh, terror, like, but those are very hard feelings to grapple with. Emotions are, are data that help us uh, pay attention to opportunities and threats that we are, we're perceiving. And, and emotions mobilize us to address these opportunities and threats. They help us connect with each other. They help us get the energy within ourselves. They help us clarify the problem. And when we avoid those feelings, what happens is we avoid the the wisdom that we have from us, Mm. for us to to step in and and connect and solve. Uh, One of the biggest ways that we can address big challenges is by building stronger, network building stronger trust building stronger resilience between us the the resilience that we need in the face of uh climate change and in the face of ai mm-hmm. it's again it's not a it's not a solo sport we're going to need to build those resources internally and together and emotions are uh fundamentally a, a universal human language emotions connect us and i've i've worked all over the world i work with people in over 100 100 countries. um, And my organization works in 200 countries and territories. And as soon as we start talking about emotions and sharing emotions, not in the sort of abstract way, but actually engaging with our emotions, uh, we feel that connectedness. And when I, you know, when I tell you I'm feeling both anxious and hopeful, uh, if I have the the wherewithal to actually let some of that feeling, let some of that anxiety come through. I think you almost automatically start saying, oh, me too. Mm. Mm-hmm. We feel this, this sense like we're not alone in this.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the other issue with the climate crisis, famously, I'm not the first person that this has occurred to, is that that it's such a long-term threat and we humans are famously better at getting excited about short-term threats, things immediately in front of our noses. Um, and so um, I'm wondering if you have any special insight on how humans can get mobilized around, around longer-term threats and harness the emotions yeah. associated Longer with term that. Longer-term
1: threats and opportunities. So in our model of emotional intelligence, we have this kind of unusual construct called Pursue Noble Goals and it's one of the things we measure in our in our emotional intelligence assessment and it's about feeling connected with a larger sense of purpose and it's not enough to have a mission statement for your business or to have a personal mission statement can you feel it can people feel the connection with this 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 future state and can you feel the connection with the next generation and the generation after that? Can you feel like you are part of this larger story in this larger world? And what I've seen is that when people feel that connectedness, it helps us move out of the short-term nature of emotions and the way our brains are, are wired for for dealing with kind of immediacy. But we have this fantastic capacity to to imagine and project and think beyond ourselves and beyond this moment. And when we feel that connectedness and we feel that sense of purpose, it's deeply motivating. Wonderful. Well, I could go on popping questions
0: to you (laughs) all afternoon (laughs) because uh, clearly there's a lot more to be said. But uh, thank you for being on Just One Question and answering several. That's very kind (laughs) of you. And
1: They were one at a time.
0: There you go. Okay. Just One Question at a Time. We need a new title. And uh, I'll give you full credit. Uh, Joshua Friedman, everybody, uh, uh, the amazing CEO and co-founder of SixSeconds.org. Check it out. And thank you for being on Just One Question. Thanks.